Hello, everyone. I'm Emily Lavender, and welcome back to the Forever Marriage Podcast. Forever Marriage exists to strengthen families by helping couples discover God's design for marriage. So lately on the Forever Marriage Podcast, Scott and Dawn have been sharing with us from their study called Train Your Mouth for Marriage that they're doing here at Lakewood on Wednesday nights. We hope that you've been encouraged by those sessions so far and know that we have several more of those to record and get out to you guys in the next few weeks. So definitely stay tuned and be on the lookout for those episodes. But today, in the meantime, we want to share with you some more conference sessions from a recent marriage conference that Scott and Dawn were the keynote speakers for. So if you've been keeping up with our latest episodes, you know that we've already published two of those sessions, which are episodes six and seven. Um, But just to refresh your memory, episode six, they talked about how in marriage, we are to trust in the power and strength of God and not our own. In episode seven, they speak on the importance of encouraging other couples on their marital journey. And today we want to just pick back up where we left off and hone in on another portion of one of their conference sessions where they talk about how in marriage we help each other fulfill God's call on our lives. So we hope you'll take a few minutes now and listen and be encouraged. Together we help each other fulfill God's call on our lives, to fulfill God's call on our lives. And I want to just say this to you. Every one of you in this room, whether you realize it or not, God has a call on your life. And I'm not saying it's necessarily to be in vocational ministry as Mark and Kelly, that kind of thing. But you have a call. A call that is for the two of you specifically that can only be answered by the two of you specifically. Because as Dawn has alluded to over the weekend, each of you brings something to the table that God has you together for a reason. We like to think of it this way. We have passions. Each of us in this room has a passion. And passions are the things that we would stay up late at night talking about. We we could never talk about it enough. We just love it. Then we have skills and abilities, things we talked about in our empty nest, fixing things, doing whatever. We have skills and abilities that God has given us. Some of that's just innate, it's within us, and some of it has been enhanced by the empowering of the Holy Spirit that we call spiritual gifts. But when you take passions and when you take skills and abilities and you, you intersect that, it's what we call, that's your sweet spot. Listen, when I was watching Andy and Karen, I'm, I'm telling you, man, I'm, I'm telling you, Mark, I, I don't sense I've, I've, I'm supposed to, but I've already told Andy, hey, Andy, if God ever should call me to plant a church, I'm going to steal you and Karen to come be my worship leaders, okay? I'm just telling you up front, all right? Them's fighting words. Those are fighting words, boy. Yeah. <laughs> because when I look, we sat right here, and I look at Andy and Karen, I'm like, this couple, man, they're, they are, they're mighty because they're walking in their passions, they're walking in their calling, they're walking in their giftedness, and that intersection is their sweet spot, and you see what's happening. Now, I'm not saying it has to be on a platform. Right. It can be in anything because God's, your story, your story matched with your partner's story has an intersection where God is saying, I want to do something with this. We write in our principles book, this is one of our other principles that we have incorporated for the past 20-some-odd years. We've seen it. You've heard my and Dawn's story. If you were here last night, you're like, what? Why are they leading a marriage conference? 
Never heard a marriage conference leader say he prayed for his wife to be killed by God. And they're leading marriages? That's kind of whack. It's the kingdom of God. What I've learned about the kingdom of God is this. Your greatest misery often becomes your most fruitful ministry. We've got at, at our church in, in uh, Gainesville, the leader of our divorce care ministry, I remember about 18 years ago, was sitting in my office and he and his wife were parting. And he was pained by it. I said it to him then. I knew it wasn't right time because in the midst of the misery, you don't want to hear about the potential. That's not the appropriate time. But this is what I know, guys. God does not waste pain. Pain in the kingdom of God serves a purpose. For us individually, it's to refine us, to purify us. For us collectively as a couple and as a ministry, it's to expand the kingdom of God. It's how God expands hope in a hopeless world. When he has a couple like us who hated each other, and I was calling Dawn all kinds of names in my mind, then can stand before people and say, look what God has done. It's not us. He, what he's done for us, we ain't, we're nothing special. What he's done for Sky and Dawn, he could do for you too. And it's the same thing for you. So we just want to encourage you, help each other fulfill God's call on our lives. This is how it played out. We left Statesboro, Georgia with a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a kindergarten and went to Fort Worth, Texas to get our master's in marriage and family counseling. About the second year there, I was working for UPS. The rhythm for us was I would go to bed usually about 10 o'clock at night, get up at 1.30, go to work at UPS at 2 o'clock in the morning, work till about 7.30 or 8, come home, lay on the floor, catch a cat nap while Dawn's in the shower. I'd get in the shower. We'd go to, I'd go to class, she'd go to work. I'd go in class from 9 to 3, okay? Come home, get the kids from school. They'd go play on the playground. I'd write papers and study till 10 o'clock at night and start that rhythm all over. Did that for four years. About the second year, our church that we were planted in, Wedgwood Baptist, had an opening for a, a part-time, what they called at that time, Minister of Adult Education which is basically helping Sunday school, growing Sunday school. I put in my resume, applied for that job. Um, I was working on my master's, but I knew there were other guys who were working on their doctorate. And I thought, I'm, these guys, they're far more uh, competent and capable than I am. Dawn and I had a tendency, this is Sunday afternoon, I'm sitting on the side of the bed, we had a tendency to like to take naps. And if you know my wife, she loves a nap. She's a great napper. And nap, there's no such thing it's in my, my love language. It's her love language. There's no such thing in Dawn Smith's language of a cat nap. I can sit in a recliner for 10, 15 minutes, I'm ready to go. Dawn's naps usually last two to three hours, okay? We were sitting on the bed that Sunday afternoon. I had put my resume in with Wedgwood to the search team. And I was talking about, this is, ladies, listen to this. She could have just been blowing smoke. She may have wanted me just to shut up and go to sleep. But we were talking about that application. And this is what she said to me, ladies. She said, honey, if Wedgwood does not hire you, it will be the biggest mistake they've ever made. 
Now, I'm telling you, I don't know if I had my V-neck T-shirt on or what, but I felt like I could just stretch it apart, and there was going to be this big S on my chest like, I'm Superman. And you know what, ladies? All it said to me is my wife believes in me. There is nothing. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not shirking the power of the Holy Spirit. But ladies, let me just speak to you. You have power in your hands. You have power in your words. Solomon puts it this way in Proverbs 18, 21. Life and death are in the power of the words. Your words this weekend have either breathed life into one another or they have breathed death into each other. You're either tonight when, on your ride home, this weekend, you're either going to be life-giving to one another or death-dealing by the things that you say. And in that moment in time, around 1998, 97, whatever, God used my wife in a short sentence to breathe life into me. Now, let that, me say, I feel like men respond to statements of affirmation like that really well. So what do women respond to? I think that they respond better to personal questions because we get about the business of making life go, right? We get into the business of family life and we are getting the kids where they need to be, getting them fed, thinking about what's the next thing to do. We got to pack these lunches. We got to pay these bills. They're in the business of making life go. But it's a wise man who will speak to his wife periodically and say, what are your dreams? I, I know that you're in a season of taking care of littles right now, and it's all-consuming, but are you happy? Are you fulfilled? What do you dream about? How can I make that happen for you? If we can't do it right now, I'm going to put it on my to-do years from now, but I'm not going to lose sight of it. Somebody... I believe that God gives our husbands to us. I believe, husbands, it's important for you to stay in tune with your heart of your wife, hmm. to shepherd well the heart of your wife. Mm -hmm. And that means asking, how is your heart? Mm -hmm. Conversations and questions. Instead mm -hmm. of just assuming we're all happy and all good, but maybe there are some things in there that are getting buried, that are getting mm -hmm. pushed to the side a little bit in her. Pay attention. Ask those heart questions. How are you doing? Is there some unfinished business you want to take care of? Is there, is there some things in your life that I can help you with? Those, to me, I think men respond to those affirming statements. You have what it takes. Mm -hmm. But I think women respond to those, how can I help you? What do you need from me? Questions. And they tend to bloom more when they have that kind of relationship, I think, with their husbands as well. Yeah. Write this verse down. It's not in your notes. Proverbs 27, 23, Solomon says this. Proverbs 27, 23. Know well the condition of your flocks and pay attention to your herds. Now, man, I'm not saying that your wife and your children are cows, pigs. I'm not saying that, okay? But the concept is this. You, as a shepherd of your family, are to know well what's going on with them. <laughs> My son, we would have these conversations as I was coming upon this probably 10, 15 years ago. When we would have these teachable moments in a car, and it, I would be, we'd be riding, and... <laughs> 
I would have what I call how's your heart kind of conversations with my son where I would, he'd be over in the passenger seat and I would start asking him these things like, How, how's your heart, Reese? <laughs> and he would say, I don't know, Dad. I don't think about my heart, you know? But we started, he started learning the language. I was talking with one of the men here. It's why we put together a piece. Some of you may have access to it. Uh, the Code for Biblical Manhood. It's to give our men language by which to talk about masculinity. But men, you need to know the condition of your wife's heart. I will say it simply this way to Dawn. Usually when we finish working with a couple, we're going to get a bite of lunch there in Gainesville. I might say to Dawn, hey girl, how are we doing? And I'm not saying in, in the midst of ministry, I'm not saying all the couples we're working with, I'm saying how are Scott and Dawn? Not Scott and Dawn the ministers, not Scott and Dawn parents or the influencers, not any of that. How are we doing? Mm -hmm. I want to know what's going on here. Is there anything I'm missing? Okay. My question to Dawn when we're alone, and I, when I say to her, so girl, how are we doing? That, that question evolves around three specific questions we learned years ago. The first question is, and this, write these three questions down. The first question you ask your spouse is this. What are you enjoying most about our relationship right now? What are you enjoying most? And the nature of that question is to give the two of you, and you ask this, husbands to the wives, wives to the husband, it gives you both time to celebrate what's working. Because even if you're in a dysfunctional relationship, a broken clock is right twice a day, right? So even if you think, man, our marriage is terrible, there's something right about it still that's working. So let's just look at what's, what are you enjoying. It may not be 100%, but it's, it's, we're doing pretty good. It gives you margin to, it raises the thermostat, the temperature, if you will, in the, in the relationship to celebrate. Second question after you've asked, what are you enjoying most? You ask, what is most dissatisfying right now? And let me just say, this is not where you unload all the barrels on your spouse. I would say a wise woman or a wise man would pick the highest priority issue and deal with that. If toothpaste is like number 10, don't even talk about toothpaste. And I would say this, start on something that you're pretty sure you might get some traction on. What have you enjoyed most? What's most dissatisfying? And then the final question you ask of your partner, how can I help you? In essence, what, what do you need from me? Is there something that's on your plate that you feel like you've got all these plates spinning? If I just took this one plate from you and, and caused it to quit spinning or I, I just spun it for you, what would you want me to do? Now, ladies, let me say this. There's nothing more frustrating to your husband than you to respond, Well, you know what needs to be done. We've talked about this before. I shouldn't have to tell you again. Let me just say, you need to tell him again, okay? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, men, let me say this to you. When you ask that question, the onus is now on you. 
When you ask, honey, what can I do to help you, you are now responsible to do something with it. I don't say this to condemn you. I say this to challenge you. James 4.17 puts it this way. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. If your spouse says to you, honey, it would help me if you would do this. If when we get home from work, as I'm getting dinner ready, if you would entertain the kids or get the kids bathed, whatever, whatever it is that you're working on, when they say that to you, you now have the impetus to do something with it. And if you know the right thing to do and out of your stubbornness, your arrogance, well, that's not the way we did it in my family, whatever it is, I would say to you, you might want to think about it. Am I being sinful in my disobedience here? Does that make sense? All right. That's all for today, friends. We hope you'll stay tuned for more episodes of the Forever Marriage podcast. And in the meantime, you can check out previous episodes and other resources for your marriage at forevermarriage.org. See you next time.